time did you find Acts chapter 22? All right. Uh, way back in, in our study of the book of Acts, starting in chapter 19, we began to hear Paul talking about the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit was warning him when he got to Jerusalem that there was going to be some trouble in his path. By chapter 20, he said in every city that he went to that the Holy Ghost told him that bonds and afflictions awaited him in Jerusalem. Now, it wasn't that God was telling him not to go. It's that God was preparing him for what lay ahead of him. Now, many of us, if we knew that that kind of situation was waiting for us there, we would probably cross that off our bucket list. Some of us were talking about bucket list tonight. And I would say, you know, I've seen Jerusalem. I don't think I need to go back. I'm going to go someplace easier. But Paul wasn't moved by that. Uh, he, he, he had a burden on his heart. He said, I'm bound in the spirit to go. Chapter 21 um, he travels and he makes his way there. He meets with the, uh, the church in Jerusalem where it all started in Acts chapter 2. He rehearsed for them uh, all that God had done in his ministry of the Gentiles. By this time, uh, Paul has taken the gospel to, to all of the region that in the Bible was called Asia. What is, a, what is that place called today? It's called the country of Turkey. Um, the Bible says in, in Acts chapter 20 that all they which lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. Um, Paul had taken the gospel across the Aegean Sea to the, the uh, uh, countries of Macedonia and Greece. He had taken the gospel farther than it had ever been spread up to that time. Uh, and he's, he's done it all, some by ship, some by uh, walking and so forth. And he's been busy for probably 20 to 30 years of his life on these various journeys. He came back to Jerusalem. And uh, the last time that we were together, we saw in chapter 21 that everything the Holy Spirit warned him about came to pass. If you remember, Paul was in the temple. He had taken a vow along with four other Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. Uh, the big worry uh, and the big criticism that he had was that uh, that Paul was out there telling everybody, uh, you know, that uh, the Old Testament was, was no good, preaching against the temple and all that. And Paul wasn't doing anything like that. James, the pastor of the church, said, let's set every, everybody's mind at ease that you're not telling the Jews to throw away their heritage and their, their background and so forth. Um, and uh, and let, let's just do that. So Paul went along with it took on that vow, went into the temple with these four men. They were there for several days, I think about seven of them, when all of a sudden a group of Jewish people that had never gotten saved in Ephesus walked in the temple and they saw him. Remember, Paul had a big ministry at Ephesus. He had a long ministry there, but it was a rough one. It was a rough one. He described his time there as fighting with beasts. Um, he says that at Asia, they were pressed out of measure. Uh, they despaired even of life. So much persecution, uh, harassment, criticism, and, and, and trouble against the church. There was that famous riot 
uh, in Acts chapter 19 that lasted for hours uh, as people in the Colosseum there were chanting, great is Diana of the Ephesians and, and so forth. And uh, the, the, the Jews that Paul encountered now in Jerusalem in the temple were some of the ones that caused him issues in Ephesus. Uh, look back to chapter 21, verse 27, when the seven days were almost ended. The Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. They're actually trying to accuse Paul of being anti-Semitic preaching against Jewish people and the law. And Paul didn't do that at all. The law, that, that was the scriptures they had. That's what Paul used to prove that Jesus was the Messiah and this place. And further, brought, Greek, brought Greeks also into the temple and have polluted this holy place. So they, they just start screaming and hollering. They grab Paul and, and you know, they're, they're, they're holding him uh, there so he can't get away. And they're, they're telling all these people, uh, man, he's preaching against Jewish people. He's preaching against the Bible. He's preaching against this temple. And to make matters worse, he's brought uh, Greeks into the holy place. Uh, re remember when the temple was, was uh, still standing uh, as it was at this day, um, Gentiles could come so far and uh, then they had a wall built and there was a sign there written in, in Latin and in Greek um, and in Aramaic, I believe it was, uh, basically saying that Gentiles could not pass that particular line and if they did so, uh, they were responsible for their own death. They didn't mess around with it. Their temple was a holy place and uh, it was for Jews only. And they're now claiming Paul defiled that and brought Greeks in to pass that line and so forth. And of course, everybody just goes along with it. They've offered not a shred of proof. The accusations out there, verse 30, and all the city was moved and the people ran together. They didn't have... They didn't have social media or cell phones, but boy, word of mouth would go fast. And if there's a noise with uh, possibly thousands of people already in the temple proper, uh, that noise would be heard and everybody knows something's going on on Temple Mount. And everybody would run. And of course, the people gathering there, they have no idea what's going on. They just know there's a tumult. Um, and uh, the Bible says they took Paul drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, notice he's had no trial. Um, all they've thrown out are these accusations and the mob is going crazy. Mob rule is always bad rule. It always is. There's no logic, there's no reasoning, nothing like that. They're about to kill him. Tidings came under the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Jerusalem was Roman territory at this time. If you remember where the temple complex was, if we would use our auditorium sort of as a, as a map here, if, if this was the temple, in that corner, over in that corner there, there was a tower that had been built, and the Roman soldiers, it was not part of the temple complex, but it was fastened to it, and that tower, the Romans uh, took that and made that their center of operations. The Temple Mount was on the highest 
uh, hill in the city of Jerusalem. And from that tower, the Romans could look down and they could see every quarter of Jerusalem. And if there was a problem, they could dispatch troops uh, to wherever the problem arose. And that's how they controlled the city. So when this, this mob is, is together um, and, and they're trying to kill Paul, obviously those Romans are very, very well of what's going on. And uh, this chief captain immediately, verse 37, took soldiers and centurions. Centurion has 100 soldiers under him. At least 200 soldiers uh, are running down into the, uh, to the temple when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers they left beating of Paul. Uh, so they've done more than just grab him and scream at him. This mob's beating him. Can you imagine how terrifying that must have been? I, I was listening to the news this afternoon. I had to go pick up my grandson, Tommy, in, uh, at a school in Meriden today. And as I was going, I was listening to a news report out of Las Vegas. You, you may have heard it. Uh, but two weeks ago, um, a, I think it was a 17-year-old boy was beaten to death by a mob of his classmates over wireless headphones. It was, students were standing around with their phones videoing it. They put it up on Facebook. He died about two days later uh, from his injuries, um, and uh, they used Facebook to figure out who the uh, ones, the assailants were. And uh, this morning, I think eight of them, their teenagers, were charged with murder, and there's two more that they think will be added to the list. Mob violence is a brutal, horrible thing. It, it, it truly is. And so here's Paul. He's, he's done nothing wrong. Nothing whatsoever, but some people threw an accusation at him, and the mob went wild. They ran with it. Other people joined it, um, and so forth. And so they're beating this guy, and they don't even know why. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. That's that, that castle of Antonia uh, there right in the corner of the temple complex. Um, the, the, chapter, the captain's trying to figure out what in the world's the cause of this riot? What's this guy done? And they're all shouting out different things, which means none of them had a clue. None of them even knew about it. Um, and so uh, if you remember verse 35, when he came upon the stairs, this is Paul uh, with the captain. They're, they're mounting the stairs to go up into this uh, uh, castle of Antonia. So it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. By the way, what a, what a bad testimony for the people who claim to be defending the word of God and, the, and, and God's place. Such, such hatred, such violence, uh, such, such uh, lawlessness. They're, they're breaking their own Jewish law in everything that they've done. For the multitude of the people followed after, uh, crying away with him. The exact same things another multitude said to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day he was crucified. As Paul was led into the castle... It's been a couple of weeks. That's why I'm reviewing quickly here. Uh, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee, who said, canst thou speak Greek? Greek was somewhat the universal language in, in the ancient world at that time. 
Um, it's the language of commerce, and no matter what country you went to, generally they did their business in the Greek language. It was also a refined language. And so Paul is speaking uh, to the chief captain, uh, who's somewhat amazed that, that he's being spoken to like that. And notice, Paul said, may I speak unto thee? Uh, very polite in the midst of all of this chaos. The captain said, art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? Um, the word murderers there is, it, it comes from a word that the Romans use for assassins, the Sakari. Um, so the chief captain, he's already assumed this guy must be really terrible. He must be that Egyptian uh, that, that let out all these murderers and so forth. But Paul said, I am a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, meaning Tarsus is a pretty elevated city. It was actually a, what was de uh, deemed a free city. The Romans had given it special status and uh, people born there uh, were granted Roman citizenship regardless of their nationality and generally they were tax free. Um, that's what he means, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. When he had given them license, Paul stood in the stairs. You gotta understand this guy's been beaten. He's got to be a mess. His clothes are disheveled. He's probably bleeding and so forth, but he's in the company of the Roman soldiers and the soldiers have the power. Uh, they have the authority. So he asked the guy, can, I, can you let me speak to these people? And uh, the chief captain was so inclined and let him do that. He beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. Now, he spoke to the captain in the Greek tongue. Now he's going to speak in the Hebrew tongue, the ancient language of the Jewish people. So he stands up on these stairs. We're not sure how many stories up that it was. And all the people, their eyes are there. They're watching all of this go on. And the captain has allowed Paul to step forward. And the Bible says he beckoned with a hand. It may have been a gesture, something like this, something like, calm down, let's be quiet. And uh, with the authority of the Romans behind him, Paul's gesture brought that crowd that moments ago were screaming for his death, not knowing why the Bible says uh, there was made a great silence. The only thing louder than a screaming mob is absolute silence. There's something about that that changes the entire tone and, and brings a tremendous solemnity uh, on the entire situation. That brings us to chapter 22, and we're going to see uh, one of Paul's sermons here um, and what he's going to say to these people. He's going to start out in the first five verses. Paul is going to present his credentials to them. But I want you to notice how he, dress, he addresses them. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. These are the people who moments before are trying to kill him. In that mob of people are the instigators who have lied about him. He's now in chains because of them. He's in the custody of Roman soldiers because of them. He's bleeding because of them. Um, when, when, when you and I have been wronged, how do we respond? 
Isn't it kind of human nature? I'm not saying that you do this, but isn't it human nature when we've been wronged to want to, want to get our pound of flesh in there? When, we, when somebody's talked bad about us, we want to talk bad about them. When somebody's mean to us, we want to be mean to them. That is, that is how the flesh operates. Um, but, but you don't fight fire with fire. Am I correct? If you do, all you get is a bigger blaze. It, it doesn't correct anything. There is a verse in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, and I, I don't think we have to turn there because as I start saying it, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can complete it. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You understand that Paul is not looking at, hey, you bunch of animals. What in the world is wrong with you? You're supposed to be the people standing for truth. You're a, you're a bunch of creeps. Look what you did to me. I'm going to sue every. He could have done that. And that would have been the, been the end of things. And they would have been howling and screaming all over again. He would have never had the chance to share the gospel with them. Paul was a spirit-filled man, and because of that, he did not let his flesh, even in such dire circumstances, control him. I'll be honest, sometimes, uh, you know, it it doesn't take a whole lot for my flesh to want to lash out. You know, Somebody behind me honks the horn because I, I'm, I'm not pulling out fast enough or, you know, whatever. And, you know, uh, you know I, I want to tell them they're an idiot or something like they're really going to hear me back behind me in their car. Uh, and, and that's how the flesh operates. In, in these extreme circumstances, you have to admire the spirit-filled nature of this man, Paul, don't you? What an incredible example. And what it tells me In my life up to this point, I've never been in a situation as bad as this. So I've never had any excuse to let the flesh dominate. So Paul speaks to them uh, with great respect, respect, men, brethren, and fathers. Fathers is the idea. There were older men in the crowd. He's showing them respect. In the Jewish culture, elders were lifted up and respected for their age, for their wisdom, and so forth. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. So they realized this man's not a Greek. That He was supposed, supposedly brought Greeks into the temple. Um, this man speaks our language. He speaks our ancient language. He could have spoken in Greek, and they would have probably all understood him. But he's speaking to Jewish people, He speaks to them in their language, and now he's going to begin. I am verily a man which am a Jew. I'm one of you. I am a Jew. I was born a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was considered by the Jews of that day, if you you study the history of that period of time, Gamaliel was considered the wisest and most scholarly of the Jewish rabbis. His teacher was a man named Hillel that that even today in Jewish circles, the writings of Hillel are almost considered as sacred as the scriptures. Gamaliel was one of those men. Keep your place here. Turn back to Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel showed up before in the book of Acts. In Acts 5, when 
the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin because they refuse to stop preaching the gospel. Um, Peter, and they, they, they questioned them, and, and Peter, of course, said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 33, when they heard that, this is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. There, then, stood up, then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed." The Sanhedrin is, is furious. They're cut to the heart. They want to they wanna slaughter all of the apostles early on. Gamaliel stands up. He reasons with them. He reasons with them wisely. And uh, the, the entire Sanhedrin, they switched opinions and, and they gave heed to that man. This is that Gamaliel now back in Acts 22, 3, uh, who trained Paul. At that time, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He, the Bible says, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. That's the scripture. That's the Old Testament. That's Genesis, particularly through Deuteronomy. That's a part of the Old Testament referred to as the law. Again, taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. In the next chapter, he's going to identify himself that he was a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees were uh, students of the Old Testament law, the likes of which you and I can't hold a candle to. They, they knew so much about the structure of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible. Now, uh, sadly, they missed a lot of the teaching and application, especially as it came to the Messiah. Uh, but they were, they were men who revered the Bible. Not always nice people, but they revered the Bible and said, that's how I was trained and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. You notice he's not trying to alienate them. He understands that what went on down there in their minds, they were being zealous toward God. They were standing up for God. Because see, the original accusation was uh, this man is an anti-Semite and, and this man teaches against the law and this man teaches against the temple. And in his opening comments, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm anything but that. And um, so he's, he's putting out his credentials for the people. Verse four, and I persecuted this way. That's often what they called early Christians, uh, the people of the way or the way. We know in Acts 11, uh, uh, people began to call them Christians, but that wasn't 
that wasn't like universally accepted or known. They were just called the people of this way. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. My, how our spiritual forefathers have suffered for the cause of Christ. When you think about it, both men and women, and their only crime was proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. And, and uh, we know from uh, the book of Acts chapter nine that Saul was breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. But the disciples of the Lord did not back down. They did not run. Uh, they stayed faithful. The Bible says even when they were scattered uh, abroad, they went everywhere preaching the word of God. But Paul's sharing his past with them, something they are going to identify with. As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders. By this time, undoubtedly, uh, the Sanhedrin has joined this mob of people. They would have been in the temple complex and so forth. And uh, uh, Saul's past was very well known. He was very well respected in his pre-salvation days. As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Remember, they'd scattered abroad preaching the word and Saul of Tarsus in his mind said, we've got to stop that. We've got to, we've got to capture them, bring them back here to Jerusalem. They need to be punished. We need, to, we need to stamp this out once and for all. And so he's laid out his credentials. Everything he said thus far can be proven. Um, as Saul of Tarsus, he had a, he had a big reputation uh, back in the day. That would have been a familiar name and his job and, and commission by the high priest would have been well known. Verse six, it came to pass. We now go into Paul's conversion. Came to pass as I made my journey and it was come nigh unto Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Every time I read this verse, I remember in the gospel of Matthew, the people which sat in darkness have seen great light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And uh, there suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Often in your Bibles, you'll see that when someone is being addressed, especially by the Lord, their name is spoken twice. God did it with Abraham saying, Abraham, Abraham. Uh, he did it with Samuel uh, and so forth. Um, that, is, that was a way in which they made sure that you knew that someone was talking to you. It's how to get your attention. Um, and so the Lord did that here. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? Now, he does not know that this is Jesus Christ speaking to him from heaven. But as a, as a devout Jewish man who's very familiar with Jewish scriptures and their own spiritual history, he has to conclude that if there's this light at noontime, there's a light coming out of heaven that's even brighter than the sun, and I'm hearing a voice coming out of heaven, it must be the Lord. So, so that's why he said, who art thou, Lord? 
Uh, he wants to know what this is all about. Um, and he answered, uh, and he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Jesus, by the way, was a common Bible name. Uh, there's a, in the Old Testament, anybody know the counterpart to the name Jesus? Joshua. So it was a common name. So he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to know specifically who I am, uh, whom thou persecutest. They that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So apparently all those traveling in Saul's entourage, um, this light comes down and they see it. And you can imagine they're all looking around. Uh, we know that Paul from Acts 9 was thrown from his horse and he's on the ground and Paul, uh, uh, Saul is talking here to someone and they have no idea who he's talking to because they don't hear that voice. Isn't God amazing how he can just specifically speak to one person? I always love it when, when uh, I hear a sermon or I preach a sermon and God speaks to one person about one thing and he speaks to another person about something else and a third person about a different thing, all within the same sermon. God is able to do that. So Saul is just telling about the day that he got saved uh, and so forth. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Remember, Paul is preaching to a silent crowd of people, more than likely thousands of people. We know that in, in Acts chapter uh, uh, 4, 5,000 men were gathered in that same spot, and God saved. It was a massive area. And so Paul is speaking, and... Um, to, to these Jewish people, um, their religion and their faith, they, they understand God spoke to Abraham and God spoke to Jacob and God spoke to Moses and God spoke to David and, God sp and, and so on and so forth in miraculous, unique ways. So everything that, that Paul is telling them lines up with their heritage and their tradition. So they're still listening, okay? When I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came in, uh, into Damascus. There's a couple things I jotted down in the margins of my Bible in, in this particular passage. The first is a question. What does God have to do to get our attention? What does God have to do to get our attention? We know that Saul of Tarsus was there when Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, in, in that lengthy chapter, gave a tremendous message presenting uh, the claims that Jesus was the promised Messiah, gave the gospel, and Saul was one of those who were pricked in their hearts and just, just filled with rage against it. Um, and, and for all of that time, persecuting the church and all of these believers uh, and so forth, we know in Acts 9, in this conversation that Saul had with the Lord on that road to Damascus, the Lord said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Prick was usually a long stick uh, that was sharpened at one end. And it was used uh, by those who were trying to prod their cattle or whoever, whatever animal was pulling a plow or a wagon. If that animal decided to stop and didn't want to go forward, they would just prick it in the hindquarters with that long stick and the animal would start up and, and, and just instinctively move forward again. 
And that's what the Lord's referring to. Uh, remember, they were pricked in their heart. Paul's, Saul of Tarsus was under conviction. God had been pricking him and he was fighting against it. Uh, and the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. How many have ever been under conviction by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's kind of a rough thing to deal with, isn't it? Uh, sometimes that conviction is, is, if you will, a positive thing. I remember the week that I got saved. Uh, I went to that church. I rode that bus. I heard the gospel. And I, I knew that, that that's what I needed. They ask, if you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? I did not. I've been worried about that for uh, quite some time. Uh, but I didn't go forward. But there was something in my heart said, you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. Same thing happened on, on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, and Thursday. It was just like screaming at me, you need to go. And I came to the service that day ready. If they asked the question, I was going forward. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's in a positive way. But sometimes conviction works in the other way. Did you ever say or do something and immediately the Holy Spirit said, you should not have done that. That was wrong. You're a child of God and you said that. How many have ever felt, heard that little voice? Bunch of sinners. That, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of his jobs uh, is to convict us of, of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Um, Saul refused to listen to the conviction, so God had to knock him off his high horse. So what does God have to do to us before we're going to really listen and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Um, everybody struggles. Every one of us has things that God deals with about, and, and we don't always lay it on the altar right away. Um, but, but trust me, that's what, that's what chastening is all about, Hebrews chapter 12. We don't listen to his voice. We may have to listen to other things, right? So the question I wrote here is, what must God do to gain our attention? Look at all that God had to do to Pharaoh. Think about that. Pharaoh let the entire country of Egypt be laid to ruins. The crops were gone. The animals were gone. Um, the, the trees were destroyed. Uh, those, those plagues that God brought forth on the land were, were just absolutely horrendous. It wasn't until the night of the death of the firstborn and Pharaoh's own son died that he even remotely began to listen to God. But as we see the rest of his story, he never really surrendered to God. Um, as soon as he got over a little bit of his grief, he said, man, we just threw our workforce away. Uh, we, we can't do that. And he came, he came flying after the children of Israel on his chariot. And of course, his army drowned in the Red Sea. And, and he not, not only lost his country's wealth and food and shelter and animals, he lost his military. Rebellion makes people stupid every time, every time. Um, would to God we would develop a sensitive heart that when he speaks, we say, yea, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want. There's the second thing that I learned from verse 11, when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. God didn't tell him specifically what was going to happen in Damascus, just said, you need to go there. In Acts 9, he gave him an address. Go to, go to a man named Ananias. He lives on a street which is called Straight in, in the house of a certain man. That's all, Paul, that's all Saul knew. I, Saul was blind. 
You understand that? He was blinded now. He has no idea if that's permanent. Do you realize how his entire life has been turned inside out and upside down over and over again? You're well aware that one of the ministries God's opened up to me uh, in the last few years has been working with amputees. Um, and um, even while I was in Chicago last week, the subject came up and I, I ran into some people that were uh, going through some of those things. For an amputee, the loss of, uh, of a limb, any part of it, is a traumatic experience, one that some never get over. You have no idea, is there a future for me? Uh, one of the, the questions I'm almost always asked is, did you go back to work? Um, I, I get asked, how did your wife handle it? Mine is not handling it well. Um, catastrophic things like that cause us to reevaluate re everything in our lives, and God had to bring Saul to such a place as that. But that's not because God was uh, a bad God. God loved him. God had a plan for his life. He just needed Saul to stop breathing out, threatening, and slaughter long enough to hear the voice of God. But then God began to lead him, but he only leads it one step, of, one step at a time. One step at a time. When you read a book and it's got, let's say, 35 chapters, do they start with chapter 35, the beginning of the book? Do they start with the words, the end, and then work to once upon a time? It's not how it is, it goes, right? It starts with chapter one, and you might get introduced to a location or a person, some characters and stuff, and then it builds, and you just got to read one chapter after another. Uh, that's the way it works. Such is the Christian life. God leads us one step at a time. Keep your place here. And turn, if you would, to Psalms chapter 37. Psalm 37. This is a great chapter of the Bible. <clears throat> Just a great chapter. It was of great help to Trina and I when I first became sick uh, back in 2006. And it's one of those chapters we read together almost every day. But look, if you would, please, to uh, Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man. Notice that's plural. It's not one step. It's not just, you know, I take one step and suddenly I'm there. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. God leads us step by step by step. So whatever it is that God's leading me to do today, I need to take that step and obey him, and then he can show me the next step after that. And that's the way it is supposed to be. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, longest chapter of the Bible. And let's see, let's look at one verse 133. I believe David is the author here, and this is a prayer in this great psalm. Order my steps, notice that's plural, in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. What a great prayer. What a great prayer. Order my steps in thy word. Help me to take each step rightly, right according to your word, and at the same time, don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. Don't let me caught up, get caught up in any sin. Any sin. Uh, do you know that all sin has an addictive property to it? It really does. 
Uh, lying can be addictive. Gossip is addictive. Drugs are addictive. Alcohol is addictive. Cursing is addictive. Temper tantrums, they become addictive and it just becomes a habit and a way of life. David said, I don't want sin having any, any sin to have any dominion over me. But he began his prayer, order my steps and thy words. So this is what's happening in Acts 22 uh, with Saul of Tarsus. Um, and so God led him and uh, he followed and uh, uh, he was led there by those that were with him. One Ananias, a devout man, according to the law. Notice he keeps referring to the law. That's the Jewish law. Those are his listeners. He wants to understand them to understand that everything that happened to him has happened in the parameters of their scriptures. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. This was also a man of reputation, as was Gamaliel. But Ananias, we know, had received Jesus Christ as his Messiah, as his Savior. Um, Ananias came, verse 13, he came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul. I think that Saul was saved by the time he got there. That's why Ananias referred to him as Brother Saul. He said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. Remember, Saul does not know if he's ever going to see again. God had to strike him blind. God certainly got his attention. That must have been a monumental moment when his eyesight was returned. It just had to have been incredible. Um, how many of you here have ever dreamed that you could fly and then you woke up and realized you can't? Um, I've had dreams where I actually dreamed that my left leg grew back. And I woke up from the dream. It's one of those things, that it's called <laughs> way too much melatonin before bed. <laughs> but I, I've woken up having just, and I guess just finished the dream and I woke up and I turned to get out of bed fully expecting that I was going to stand up and just, just walk and then looked down with utter disappointment that it was just a dream. For Saul, this wasn't a dream. This was a reality. The God who took away his sight has now restored his sight. And he said, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, a title for Christ, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men. I have that circled in my Bible. That's going to be very important in just a moment of what thou hast seen and heard. So Saul of Tarsus is getting more of a message from the Lord. This is something that's not revealed in the book of Acts, this conversation. And from the get-go, this brand new Christian is understanding that God's got a plan for his life, that God chose him and God wants him to be a, a witness to everybody. He's going to take the gospel ever and he's going to get very specific about it before the end of this message. Uh, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. We're going to stop here for sake of time uh, because we, we don't want to rush this particular sermon uh, and its conclusion here, but um, it doesn't, you don't have to have a doctorate in theology to be a soul winner. All you have to do is tell somebody what thou hast seen and heard. Tell them how you got saved. You, you don't even, you say, but, but what if I forget one of the verses? Just tell them how you got saved. 
Just tell them how you got saved. I, I, I want you to understand in this particular sermon, Paul is not really quoting any scriptures. I've quoted a few. I've taken to a few. But Paul is sharing his testimony. Uh, he's doing exactly what Ananias said God wants him to do. Uh, testify to all men of the things which thou hast seen and heard. This is not the last time Paul is going to share this same sermon and this same testimony in the book of Acts. He's going to do it again in another chapter or two um, and, and so forth. Just tell somebody how you got saved. How many remember the day you got saved? Was that a good day or a bad day? I hope you say it's a good day. It, to me, it was the greatest day of my life. It was the answer to years of searching and wondering uh, and so forth. And I remember as a teenager uh, hearing people in my church talking about leading people to Christ and so forth. And, and I, I thought there was some big formula. And I believe you ought to learn how to take somebody through the Bible. And I, I like to use uh, the book of Romans. We call it the Romans Road. And, 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 and I like to take it through methodically and so forth. But I don't always have a Bible with me. Um, sometimes I don't even have a gospel tract with me. Uh, when I was uh, leaving for Chicago... Uh, a week ago this last Monday, I left out of Bradley Airport, and um, I almost always wear shorts to an airport uh, because uh, I have to go through special TSA screening, and, and they have to uh, test um, uh, the prosthesis for drugs because idiots sometimes try to smuggle drugs in them. And because my prosthesis goes all the way up to the hip, um, you know, if I don't have shorts on, I have to be taken off somewhere else in the airport, and it's just a long, embarrassing process, so I wear shorts. Second thing I almost always do is I sign up for a wheelchair. You say, why? Because then I don't have to walk those long distances in some airports. Bradley's not so bad. Two, I always get on the airplane first. And with Southwest, that means I get my choice of seats. Um, so there was a, there was a lady at, at Bradley that, that Monday afternoon, and she was uh, taking me through TSA uh, with a wheelchair and so forth. And uh, as we got through, she was letting me put my shoes back on and, and, you know, my watch and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, she saw the leg right from the get-go, and, and she said, um, you, can, you can walk some? I said, yes, ma'am, I, I can walk. I said, the ramp going down into the airplane is a real challenge for me. Um, and so forth, and, and she said, it's a blessing to be able to walk. And she told me how um, 18 months prior, something had happened to her, and she lost the ability to walk. She was in the hospital. Uh, there was a blood clot, and uh, she was completely unable to walk. Uh, she, was, uh, she was virtually paralyzed from the waist down, and, um, you know, that she had children at home, she, she had a husband to take care of and so forth. That's the lady going to push me around the airport and so forth. And so we talked all the way from the TSA screening place at Bradley all the way down to uh, the southwest wing and my gate just happened to be at the far end so we got to have a long talk. I was there early and uh, she just stood there and, and we just talked and I got to tell her my testimony. Uh, I got to talk to her about how I got saved. Found out she was already saved because uh, I had given her a gospel tract and she gave me a real clear testimony. Um, but uh, I, I had a Bible in my luggage and, and so on and so forth. I was just sharing my testimony with a lady that I come in contact with. Um, we can all do that. 
And that's what Paul's doing. Um, now, we're not all going to get the chance to do it in front of a crowd of thousands of people. That'd be cool. And if you get the chance, uh, I hope you'll take it. But it might just be a coworker. Might be your next door neighbor. Uh, it, it might be whoever, you know, hands the coffee out of the window at Dunkin' Donuts. And I realize you probably can't stand in line and, uh, you know, share your whole testimony. But you can hand them a gospel tract. Amen. Just, just testify of what you've seen and heard. If you're saved, God's done the greatest thing for you that he'll ever do. He saved your soul from hell. You're on your way to heaven. It's secure. Praise God for that. And Paul's doing that. And uh, we'll, we'll finish up uh, Paul's sermon and the aftermath of that the next time we gather together. Father, thank you for the Bible.